0: This morning, we're taking uh, just time to hone in on a topic that I believe is a struggle for all of us in this room. The title is The Grass is Greener Syndrome. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and the thought just dropped into your mind that everyone else looks so happy? Oh, that family always takes the best vacations. Why can't we have uh, that kind of vacation this year? That person has the best marriage. Just look at him. Or, wow, she's so pretty. Or, he drives such a nice car. Or, look at those smiles. Oh, they're in New York City again. Good for them. (laughs) Oh, look at their house. I always wondered what it looked like on the inside. Oh, a pool. (laughs) I wish we had a pool. It's not at all restricted to social media, it happens in conversations. When we see someone wearing something or doing something and then compare that to what we're wearing or doing, and the thought drops into our hearts and our minds, they have it so much better. The grass is greener. It means other people's belongings or circumstances always seem more desirable than our own. If only I had, you fill in the blank. If only I had this, then, then I would be happy. If I had a better job, if I had a child, if I had a younger wife, if I had more money, if I had a smaller nose, if I had a newer car, if I had more free time, just you fill in the blank. If only I had what? Then I would be happy. Then I would be content. We compare and we contrast. We hold up a picture. We hold up a conversation, an outfit, a slice of someone else's life, and we compare it to ours. And it happens fast, too. Oftentimes without us even knowing it. And our conclusion is the same. Every time, they've got it better. But it's all an illusion. It's a farce. They might have more money. They might have a better car than you. They might have a younger wife. But the lie rests in this. Those things will somehow satisfy the longings of my heart. Yet the mirage... It looks so real. What's behind this crazy cycle? How do we fight against these lies? How do we stop making that awful exchange of truth for lies? Where can we go to find rest for our restless hearts and minds? This morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13. And in many ways, this talk is a continuation of last week's talk or theme, which was countercultural Jesus way of life. Hebrews focuses on the superiority of Jesus and the new covenant he established through his death and resurrection. Hebrews is encouraging a people who are facing persecution and who are tempted to shrink back from Jesus. It encourages them to stand firm in their faith, and it ends with words of encouragement and instruction, just like Thessalonians did. What remedy does it give us for the grass is greener syndrome? Three things in particular. Be content with what you already have. Second, because you have God's presence. And third, you have God's help. Let's read Hebrews 13, starting in verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And we'll stop there. Again, three things. Be content with what you already have. And second, because you have God's presence. Third, and you have God's help. And then fourth, we're going to make some comparisons as we close. But first, be content with what you already have. The author of Hebrews is warning his audience, those that he's writing to, he, he's saying another love will try and take the place of what you already have, so don't let that happen. You know, we're all tempted to make money and material possessions, uh, really, or our material possessions or personal experience the very best thing in our life, right? The things that we pursue the hardest. We're tempted to place the idol of materialism and consumerism at the center of our lives. Money is... is Morally neutral. Money and possessions aren't evil in and of themselves. Having things is not sinful. But you can can be the poorest person in this building and still be enslaved to money. It's the love of money that's an issue. I want to turn our attention to another passage. We'll be flipping around uh, a little bit here this morning. Turn with me to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul writes to Timothy And he says in verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Listen, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's writing from experience here. He's seen it happen. Regardless of a person's financial status, bitterness and jealousy creeps in. We can begin to feel resentful of what others have, and instead of praising God for what we have, we begin that comparison game. complain another person might be comparatively rich but never satisfied always trying to just accumulate more stuff what's underneath all of this i believe what's behind this this grass is greener syndrome if we, we pick at it a little bit and we look behind it is coveting coveting and there's an awful exchange going down but i want to focus on coveting for a moment Coveting is desiring or taking pleasure in what doesn't belong to you. It leads to all kinds of harm against others. Exodus chapter 20. You may have heard this before. Exodus chapter 20. Moses is communicating God's commands to the children of Israel, those gathered uh, at Mount Sinai. He comes down from the mountain and he communicates uh, these, these commands. And one of them is found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 17, where he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians 5 that coveting or greed is actually idolatry. You know, as coveting increases and as discontent grows gratitude for what we have fades and the fantasies begin eventually those fantasies can be acted on coveting leads to judgment it leads to envy it leads to insecurity it leads to adultery and abuse debt depression shame escapism i could go on it's a real danger then there's our obsession with self-promotion You know, in our filter-saturated world, we're viewing a false reality of ourselves. Each picture we post on FB, (laughs) each picture we post on Instagram, represents 10 behind it or more. We're slapping different filters on there. There's nothing wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with good pictures. I'd rather see your good pictures than your bad ones. (laughs) What's wrong is we can easily look to them for affirmation acceptance, security, but in the end it leads to disappointment. How many likes does it take? <laughs> what about the fixation with what everyone else is doing? Discontent with our own lives, we begin to live vicariously through other people because they have it so much better than us. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a story of a man who thought he had it all together. This guy on his Instagram feed would have put hashtag blessed. Comfort, money, he had it all. Luke 12, verse 13, let's read about it. Someone in the crowd said to him, to to Jesus, Teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me, a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Oh, we need to hear that again and again. And he told them this parable, this story. The the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, Self? What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, Self? This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This man had comfort in money versus God. This man had the illusion of control, didn't he? Oh, he had plans for the future. He had built new barns for all of his surplus. He went to bed real comfy that night. Nice quilt, I'm sure. And he died. This man was individualistic, he was self-centered, he was he had a materialistic drive. Jesus says in another place in Luke 9 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit the very self? Jesus is constantly making these comparisons in his ministry. And I love this one in Luke 9. He's basically presenting before us the whole world, everything you could ever want or dream or imagine. What good is it if you have all the houses you want, all the cars you want, everything that you want in life, all the recognition, if you forfeit, if you give up or lose your soul? Make the comparison, Jesus is saying. John, in 1 John 5, verse 21, as he ends his letter to the churches that are scattered, he says this, keep yourselves from idols. Seems odd. How to close a letter. But John understood the idolatry that was in their culture, and and that they were swimming in it, that there was a culture all around them that was running after things that in the end won't satisfy. And John's saying, keep yourselves from idols. We don't often think about the idols of our culture, but I want us to this morning. Good things, good things like money, relationships, sex, work, status, power, acceptance, Leisure, entertainment, these good things easily become the very best things of our lives. Something they were never meant to be. And then they become idols. They become the lowercase gods of our culture. Lowercase gods because they're no gods, really. Have we put them in the place that God belongs? There's a temptation there for all of us. When you love something or someone, you make sacrifices for them. Where are you making sacrifices? And then Paul talks in Romans about this awful exchange. Remember I said a uh, a few minutes ago that behind this, the grass is greener syndrome, is coveting, this desiring things that don't belong to us, a discontentment, but also this awful exchange. What is this exchange? Paul describes it in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. For although they knew God, he's talking about those who have rejected God, who have moved away from God and they're under God's wrath. They knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their, th- their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And here, listen, there was this exchange that went down. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And you're saying, of course, those are ancient cultures and they worshipped all these false gods that were in the shape of animals and birds. And oh, you know, we feel so bad for them when we read about them. Let's keep going. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Listen. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Created things, that's anything. It might not be an actual idol carved like a bird or a reptile or a human being. What is it though? What created thing? Even you, you're created. Are you at the center? Are you giving yourself? Are you sacrificing to yourself? I want us to identify. I pray. It's been my prayer for us that God would do this work where he put his finger on areas of our life where we're just we're sacrificing, we're giving ourselves to. We've made this exchange. We've not seen God's glory and beauty for what it is. We've pushed that to the sidelines, and we've been giving ourselves to the wrong things. I don't know what it is for you. I know God's been addressing areas in my own heart. Keep yourselves from idols. So the first thing uh, we see here is we need to be content with what we already have. It's what Hebrews is exhorting us to do in Hebrews 13. Well, what do we have? Number two, we have God's presence. Be content with what you already have because you have God's presence. Uh, Look with me again what he says here. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Hebrews 13 verse 5. And be content with what you have because, here's the reason behind it, this, this warning and, and this challenge, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our commitment, our satisfaction is rooted in what God has said, what he has said. Now this is a reference to what God spoke to Israel through Moses before he died, before he passed the baton on to Joshua. He spoke it to the nation of Israel gathered together. He said, God, God, ne- God spoke this to Moses. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Then, after Moses passed, he spoke it to Joshua I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God's presence meant everything to Moses and to Joshua, it meant everything to the children of Israel. Do you remember Moses and his encounter with God at the burning bush before he went on to Egypt and delivered the children out of Egyptian slavery? And before he went, he says, who do I say sent me? He wanted to to have a name behind God. And God reveals himself in a name. And he says, I am. It's Yahweh. It's where we understand, it's where we get the name, the divine name, Yahweh. In in a lot of our English translations, it's capital L-O-R-D, and there's reasons behind that that we're not going to get into this morning. But this is Yahweh and the name means he who is. The name itself of God reveals something so important about him that he is the ever-present God, active, involved, Yahweh. So Moses was able to go and do what he was called to do because Yahweh, because he who is was, was there with him. And he held on to this Throughout the ministry of uh, deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt and then while in the desert, oh, he held on to it. And we today hold on to this. If you look at the history of redemption in Scripture, you see that every uh, character in in the Bible is, is, is clinging to and holding on to and delighting in God's presence. And Hebrews is saying, be content with what you have because you already have God's presence. For God has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Okay, he said it to Moses, he said it to Joshua, and Hebrews is saying, listen, he said it to them, but receive it as if he's saying it to you, because he is. I will never leave you or forsake you. What did Jesus say uh, before he he parted from the disciples and he ascended into heaven? He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Then he sends a spirit who's, what, present with us. The dwelling place of God is where? Here. When God's people gather, he's with us. He's near. If I come home late at night and the family's waiting, I need to announce that I'm home. Otherwise, they might think a thief is there or a monster or who knows what. I'll walk in, hey, I'm home. I'm announcing that I'm, I'm present. And God has done this throughout redemptive history, throughout the Bible He's announcing his presence and it brings comfort. Ah, daddy's home. Oh, God is present. He's near. Psalm 16, verse 2. I said to the Lord, I said to he who is, to Yahweh, you are my Lord. That's capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which is Adonai, or my sovereign master. So the psalmist is saying, I said to Yahweh, my master, apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So the idea is that if we take the Lord out of the equation, we're left with nothing. Apart from him, nothing we accumulate, nothing we do on earth would or could satisfy us. There would always be a God-shaped hole in our hearts that we would endlessly attempt to stuff with things, with people, with lowercase gods. And it's exhausting when we think about it. We have something in the promise of Hebrews chapter 13 that we will never lose because Jesus has lost it for us. Now, what do I mean? J.I. Packer, uh, author J.I. Packer says this, On the cross, Jesus lost all the good that he had before. All sense of his father's presence and love. All sense of physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. All enjoyment of God and of created things. And in their place was nothing but loneliness, pain, and the horror of great spiritual darkness. Have you you thought of that? We often think of the, the physical anguish that Jesus faced on the cross. But on the cross, literally, Jesus, it's a great mystery. I know. The scriptures say that he became sin for us. And so he experienced this sense of of losing the Father's presence. And he did it for us. Jesus lost the Father's presence so we could have it and enter into it. If we have God's presence, what else do we need? If he'll never leave us or forsake us, what else do we need? So what God has said about himself here in Hebrews 13 that he'll never leave us or forsake us it pushes against the discontent and the coveting it pushes against the idolatry of our hearts it does which means that if we search for something else to satisfy we've either forgotten dismissed ignored or become callous to what god has said about himself and maybe we've grown lazy in our exploration of what it means for our lives maybe We've experienced something in life that has felt like God leaving or forsaking us. What then? And this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. It doesn't deny the painful circumstances of life, but acknowledges that God has stepped into the dark. He's stepped into the broken mess of our lives. He's stepped into the painful world in the person of his son, Jesus, and has taken it on. Again, listen, he faced the pain of separation. He faced the pain of loss of presence so we wouldn't have to. And Hebrews is saying, keep yourself from the love of money because God has said he'll never leave you or forsake you. God's presence is enough. Is it? Is it enough for you? He created us to find rest in him. We sang about it this morning. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from you. God's people have been singing it for thousands of years. That was rooted in Psalm 62, a song of praise for the children of Israel. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from you. You see what's happening when we're singing and delighting in God? That way we start to push the, the idols away where they belong. We gain perspective. Oh, that's right. Why am I endlessly thinking about what other people have? Why am I constantly comparing my life to theirs? God, you're with me. You're present. You've given me all that I need in Jesus. He invites us to practice rest on a daily basis. He does. Finally, you have God's help. This is crazy good news for us. Look at verse 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortal man do to me? My helper, I will not be afraid. Think about that. Rescuer makes sense, but helper? God as our helper? The one who protects and who supports? This is rooted in Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7. And the idea in this psalm, it's a psalm of confidence. The idea is that we can approach the next crisis with less fear because we're relying on Yahweh. And that's better than relying on any human resource there is my helper i will not be afraid what can mere mortal man do to me this is a rhetorical question it's a defiant cry of confidence in other words whatever you got whatever comes my way it's got nothing on me because god is with me this means that whatever our experience is whatever our fight he will not abandon me and he will supply my every need in good in the good the bad the ugly whether we have plenty or we have nothing You see what Paul says? I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Remember that? Whether I have plenty, Paul says, or I have nothing, whether I'm imprisoned or free, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Why? He saw him who gave him strength as his helper, as his ever-present help in time of need, as the one he could boldly go to whenever he needed him and lean on and look to and rest in and delight in. You can't take that away. You can't lose that if you lose your job. That can't be taken away from you on your deathbed. We hold on to it with everything. You are my help, my salvation. In you I trust. What can man do to me? What can come at me that can strip this? Nothing. So when we're presented with a fairytale relationship or a more beautiful version of ourselves, or a bigger home with an updated kitchen, by the way. When what we have doesn't seem like it's enough, when we begin to distort and devalue what we already have and overvalue what we don't have, when society tells us it's all about our happiness or all about our fulfillment or all about our safety and comfort, we have something to say back. Hebrews 13 has given us something to say. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortal man do to me? What, what do you have that's better than what I have? We'll have to fight to say it, but Jesus paved the way for us to say it. And so we can pray, remove any, remove all lowercase gods, remove all these idols in my life. Keep me from these idols, God. And in particular, God, that nasty battle over coveting and lust and discontent, we can ask Jesus, be my all. We can tell him, you're enough, but I want you, I want, I want, to see that more and more, that you are enough. That you're my joy and happiness. That my security is in you. That I can say with Paul, regardless of my circumstances, whether I have plenty or I'm in want, you're my strength. I can do all this through you, who strengthens me. Now it's time to make some comparisons. We talked about the countercultural Jesus way of life. Really, anytime we dive into Scripture together, we're looking at that. But this is a countercultural Jesus way of life because I don't imagine you're going to stop looking at Facebook or Instagram. You might. I'm not asking you to. I don't imagine, because that's not the answer. I don't imagine that you're going to stop uh, seeing friends, go on vacations that you can't afford. I don't imagine that you're going to have to wait to update your kitchen, maybe a couple years. I don't imagine that these things are going to stop. I don't imagine that someone's going to walk in with a pair of shoes that you've been wanting. But we need to start making new comparisons. What if we started comparing what we have already in Jesus? Seriously. Seriously. What if we start comparing what we already have in Jesus with everything else? Jesus invited people to do this all the time. Remember in Luke 9? Let's just say you gain the whole world but forfeit your, your, your soul, yourself. I mean, what good is that, Jesus is saying. There's this really cool parable in Matthew 13, verse 44. And Jesus is describing what it means um, to run after the kingdom of God, to live under the rule and reign of God's king, which is Jesus. And he's describing it this way. He describes a man who, when working in the field... Uh, found buried treasure and in his joy he runs and he sells all of his possessions everything so he can have the field now i'm I'm sure it doesn't get into the details but i'm sure his friends were just like what what are you what are you doing why are you selling everything I, i want the field you see what this guy knew he knew the value of the treasure buried in the field And Jesus tells this story so we grow in our understanding of the value of what it means to follow and live for King Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom, to bow our lives and our hearts to him as king. Do you value it? Is it everything to you? Is it like a treasure? Jesus is saying that's what it should be. And I want it to be that more and more in my own life. So what if we started making these new comparisons? Take the treasure that Jesus is, And compare it to everything else. Hold it up high now. Jesus, in all of his beauty and splendor and glory, my king, the one who entered my brokenness, the one who showed me the beauty of what it means to be reconciled to the living God, the one who died in my place, the perfect sacrifice, the one who lived a perfect life of obedience for me. Now compare this, compare who he is with that new kitchen. Yet yeah, we're freaking out over the new kitchen. We need to ask for new longings in order to make new comparisons. I believe that we can do that today. That we can ask God to give us these new longings, these new desires, to see Jesus in all the beauty and glory that He, he really is in. To see Him for the treasure He is, and to make those new comparisons. Because we're called to now what? A countercultural Jesus way of life. I love what Hebrews tells us. We can hide this in our hearts. It's easy to remember. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what we've learned here in Hebrews 13. It's messing with us. You're calling things out in our own hearts and lives, and that's good. It's, it, you love us. You're challenging and warning us through Scripture to keep ourselves from things that we would be tempted, that all of us in this room are tempted to give ourselves to. Keep us from the love of money. Help us to be content with what we already have. Help us to believe your word that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Help us to treasure your presence. Most of all, Lord, to treasure your presence in Christ Jesus and what it means for our lives. And help us to make new comparisons, we pray, and put in our hearts new longings. In Jesus' name, amen.